Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it. Finds Ward and there's his game winner. On the move, on the way. Tucker will score. Sean Tucker with a touchdown. Gillen. Got it. Derek, you win. Are you serious? Five down. One to go. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 67 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. I am joined once again by Sammy, Emily, and Josh. We are here to talk all things Syracuse, men's and women's basketball, men's and women's lacrosse, tons of stuff to get to. But before we do, as you all know, I am a diehard Eagles fan, and we need a little bit of therapy for a few minutes because Emily is as well. Emily was actually at the Super Bowl, and um, yeah, we need a couple of minutes to relieve some pent-up frustration sorrow i've been mourning for multiple days and i'm still not over it so we'll uh we'll kind of go around the room and get everyone's thoughts on the game as a whole and the holding call uh towards the end of the game that was kind of the uh most talked about i think uh potential controversy of of the game we'll start with you emily as someone who was there as someone who was an eagles fan like myself thoughts on the game and the call at the end I mean, that was one of the best Super Bowls in a long time. Like, I am very, I'm so incredibly lucky to have been able to witness a game like that. That was such a good game. Here's my thoughts on the call. I'm sorry. Jerseys get held every other play. And if you're going to call it in that moment, you have to call it the whole game. It's the inconsistency that bothered me because I saw jerseys left and right. Jerseys were flying left and right the whole game. They always do. So if you're going to call it in that kind of a moment, you have to call it the rest of the time. But on top of that, you're going to let that be what decides the Super Bowl. It just kills me that Jalen Hurts didn't even get a chance because that kid, he outperformed Mahomes, in my opinion. He outperformed Mahomes. And it, it's just it's painful that he didn't get a chance to even just get within field goal. It, he didn't even, he didn't get a chance. And that's that's what hurts the most. But being able to witness that kind of uh, that was such a great game. I'm so lucky to have been there. That's the best Super Bowl in, in recent memory. And Rihanna was outstanding. <laughs> Just had to give Rihanna a shout out. She was incredible. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Uh, Super Bowl Fifty Two was better in my eyes, but that's, that's yeah, you know, we, yeah, that those are the good old days. Anytime you beat Tom Brady, I think most people are pretty happy about that. But uh, Josh, your thoughts as a as an unbiased observer in, in this game? Definitely not unbiased because I'm I'm always a team 
what breaks down Emily the best. So obviously I'm relishing in this opportunity to to see her squirm and cry and do all those vented emotions out. People to be going to vanity, I'll be feeling what bad. a yeah, gentleman. Okay. What a gentleman. Obviously. Um and again as much as I don't like to agree with Sheroff, that was an extremely lame way to end a football game. As a former player, I mean even James Bradbury like you know I guess there's honor and, you know, like in the NBA, when you foul somebody, you're supposed to take their hands and hold your hand up too. But I don't think dudes do that anymore. So I guess that it was a um, real uh, grown black man of him to uh, cope up to that penalty at the end and let the league off the hook. I would have never done that, me personally, amen. But that's neither, neither, neither here nor Better there. man than I, is for sure. Indeed. So, no, nah, but it, it's, um, like Emily said, and it just hits home because I've been in situations like that, man, when, you know, most coaches tell you once you get past high school that once you're on the road, you have to you get plus three. You're you're planning to win the game by at least three points to rule out the officials being able to you know put their hand in the cookie jar. Obviously, this game was literally decided by three points, and that's just lame, bro. You got like a, like M said, an all time Super Bowl game. You got two of the best quarterbacks of all time, two of the best quarterback performances of all time. One guy being a legend on one leg. And the other, the other guy only setting the Russian quarterback record in the Super Bowl. So that is just so lame that, you know, in a see, I said this on my podcast, No Cat Sports Check, that I wherever you get podcasts at. I said that in a year full of officials deciding games and being constantly critiqued, it's only fitting that in the biggest play, in the biggest game of the year, the officials unnecessarily put themselves in the game yet again. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was the most visceral reaction I've seen to a call since the Dez Bryant call. And you know how bad y'all know how bad Cowboys fans are, and that was that was just, that was really lame. That was really lame to me, Sammy. So I, so what I did on the Super Bowl is I'm unbiased, but I don't necessarily like Philly. I, as a someone who's in Massachusetts, they don't necessarily get along with people from Philadelphia in terms of sports. I don't think that's a a surprise to anybody. To be fair, um, Philadelphia doesn't get along with many, so that's that's true. It's not a surprise. But, but for for this, I, I feel like it bothers more people in, in Massachusetts in general. But in terms of, I'm not a, a Patriots fan, but I would say this was the perfect result for Patriots fans because now Mahomes has an asterisk next to his Super Bowl and Philly didn't win a Super Bowl. So that's exactly, I think, what every single New England Patriots fan was rooting for because now there's this question mark against whether Mahomes deserved to win the Super Bowl and in terms of his legacy, if he ends up winning a ton in comparison to Brady, just that's really long-reaching, but should it happen? And this is really painful for Philly because they're losing a lot of pieces this offseason. They're losing coach to my favorite football team as well. Um, the call, it was a hold. Yes, but again, they didn't call anything like that most most of the game. So I agree it shouldn't have been called. But I also don't think it changes the result necessarily. I do think the Chiefs win that game regardless. Um, yeah, that's really all I got. So I'll uh, I'll start with this. Um, the the I'll start with the call and. Again, everyone's going to think we're making excuses. You're blaming the officials for the loss. Well, I'm not because there's plenty of things that the Eagles did or didn't do that could also contributed to the loss. Uh, Jalen Hurts fumble in the second quarter when the Eagles looked like they were taking complete control of the game. They had a seven-point lead. They were at midfield. They had a third in inches. If they don't have a false start, 
They get a first down. They're in Kansas City territory. It looked like they were going to march down and take a two-touchdown lead. You add three or seven points to the Eagles' first-half score and take seven points away from Kansas City going into halftime, and you're looking at a game where instead of, you know, 27-17 or or, or 24-14, whatever it was, you're looking at 27-7 going into halftime, and the Eagles are in complete control, and I think that completely changes how the rest of the game plays out. So, yes, there's a lot of things that the Eagles did or didn't do. Their defense was awful all game. They had no answers for Kansas City. All of that's fair. But the call, as you guys have all said, and I agree, Sammy, especially with with his last comments, in a vacuum, if you just looked at the play, take everything else out of it, say, is that defensive holding? I think, yes, it is. I've also been an advocate of if you call a penalty in the first minute of the game, you should call it in the last minute of the game, because I think you need to be consistent throughout the entire game. And those that argue, well, you should not call as much in the last minute because you want the players to decide the game, not the officials to decide the game. I think the officials actually are deciding the game by not making a call in the last minute that they would in the first, because you need to be consistent and professional athletes they will adjust how they play based on the way games are officiated during a game. This goes basketball, football. We talk about it all the time when, you know, Syracuse basketball is playing and I'm talking about the way that the game is being officiated. You let contact go for two and a half, you know, quarters of the game. And then in the last five minutes, all of a sudden you start calling that contact. That's, that's not how that's not consistent. This is the same situation. As Emily said, there were there was holding going on throughout the entire game in various forms. There was zero offensive and defensive holding calls up until that point, and that's the one you call. Bradbury against Juju Smith-Schuster in the earlier in the game wrapped his entire arm around Juju Smith-Schuster and knocked away a pass one of the few times that the Eagles actually got a stop against Kansas City, and they didn't call that. So the officials set the precedent that what actually ended up happening on that on that play was not a penalty based on how they had called the rest of the game. So to change how you do in that moment, um, you know, to Sammy's point, he doesn't think it changes the outcome of the game. And it very well might not have. But if the Eagles offense gets the ball back with a minute and a half to go in a timeout and they are unable to score and Kansas City wins, as an Eagles fan, you're so disappointed. You're going to look back and say, what if they didn't fumble? What if they didn't do this and all that stuff? But you don't feel as gutted. You don't feel almost cheated because of it. That that goes for almost any sport when an officials interject themselves into the end of a game. So it is what it is. At the end of the day, it was a great season for the Eagles. It was a tremendous Super Bowl, as Emily said, up until that one call. I think that robbed a potential great finish, however it ended. Um, and... But either way, I think it'll be remembered as an all-time Super Bowl, one of the best-played Super Bowls of all time. So um, Fly Eagles Fly for the last time this season. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman's Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. Now let's get into what you guys all want to really hear about, which is Syracuse Athletics. 
We're going to start with Syracuse men's basketball. Yes, they won at Florida State. Florida State's terrible. We're going to just leave it at that. And then they got their signature win against number 23, NC State. And I'm going to go right back to you, Sammy. Um, This was a crazy game in that if you said Jesse Edwards and Judah Mintz are both going to hit threes in the second half, that's going to be key parts of Syracuse's win, or that they're going to need Jesse Edwards to hit a three in order to win. I don't think anyone thinks Syracuse is coming out of that game with a win. And yet, here they are. They, they they got those shots. Jesse Edwards is now the highest percentage three-point shooter in Syracuse basketball history. I think Syracuse needs to completely revamp their offense and give the ball to Jesse Edwards behind the three-point line, 100% shooter. He should be the focal point of the offense going forward. But in all seriousness, a much-needed win regardless of how you get it and keep Syracuse's slim NCAA tournament hopes alive uh, for the time being. Yeah, it, they definitely do, and it finally gives them a quad, I believe it was quad two win that they haven't had in a little while, so that certainly helps bolster the resume at least a little bit. Um, Duke presents a big opportunity to do the same thing this coming weekend, um, but I just love what I've seen from Jesse Edwards lately. The past few games, he has just been so fun to watch. And when he's aggressive, and I know, again, I think in this game in particular, and then in the start of the Florida State game, he shot very, I don't don't want to say poorly, but he was not nearly as efficient as he had been in the Boston College game, which was a big game for him. But he's being aggressive, and he's trying to get those shots, trying to create his own opportunities, which he hasn't done for the majority of the season. That's something I wanted to see him do. And him being an aggressor is something very good for Syracuse because it opens up a lot of the floor. Um, Judah shot the ball, I think, better than we've seen almost all season. Um, I think he was 7 for 12 in the game. He had nine assists as well. He he was the leading scorer in that game, in a game where you knock off a ranked opponent. That's big for Judah. Um, Joe Girard wasn't fantastic, but he also hurt the team. He He had 14, so it wasn't his greatest game, but a decent third scorer in a game where Jesse has 18 and Judah has 20. Um, I, I think they've, again, continued a trend of being very good on the fast break. Um, they've outscored teams on the fast break pretty consistently over the past few games as well. Um, but in general, this was one of those performances that could, you know, springboard a little run for Syracuse towards the end of the season, make a little claim for the NCAA tournament, or at least a better seed in the ACC tournament. But I want to see this kind of game against another quad two team like Duke in back-to-back performances before I, you know, fully buy it. Yeah, that that's totally fair. Now, it, to your point about Judah Mintz, I mean, he was he was fantastic. And then the way that he adjusted his game, right? First half, he had six assists, but didn't score a ton. Second half, he, he scored six, it's 14 or 16 of his 20 points were in the second half, but, but he also had three assists. Uh, just the way that he kind of dictated based on what he thought the team needed at, at those moments and changed his style of play, I think shows that he's maturing kind of before our eyes here. Um, and... You know, earlier in the season, there were times where he would get going and he would go too fast and he was out of control in late game moments um, and different situations. And I noticed, especially in the NC State game and a little bit in the second half against Florida State, that he was able to sort of, um, you know, ramp it up and slow it down when he needed to. So I, I think that shows great growth for him as well. Josh, your thoughts on the win and and, and the importance of that for Syracuse going forward? You know, thankfully, I'm partially due to you. And I've been afforded the opportunity to, to see this team in its entirety. You know, we talked about it at length 
in the preseason, obviously, you know, SU, you know, rests his reputation heavily on the story basketball program. And uh, we, for the most part, kind of talked through and discussed a lot of the things that have happened throughout the season. Um, and I guess that's going to continue. I said last week that if this, if this team has any – the only reason this team has NCAA at-large chances is purely because of its conference, and if they want to retain any of those, they have to win out. Um, like you said, Florida State, you know, shout out to Little Hamilton, it's Black History Month, but they're not really good right now. Um, and, yeah, they beat a ranked team that they haven't done all year. So they're, they've already done one thing that they haven't done all year, which is beat an upper-tier ACC team. So, you know, I'm skeptical, but, you know, they're not going to wait. The skepticism one game at a time. And you're talking – me and him actually talked about this. you got a guy in the Turquavian Smith. You're not going to probably face a more overall dynamic guy in the last – your last five, six, five, six stretch of games. That guy's, you know, probably first-round pick – you look at some of the slumping um, – I mean, Miami and – I don't know. I can't remember the schedule off that. But, you know, some of the upper-tier ACC teams have been slumping. And when you got a guy um, – NC State team that's has built up some momentum, knocked off Duke earlier in the season, and has, again, secured itself as one of the top-tier ACC teams. To do that, you know, you like I said, like I said you've already done something that you haven't done before. So, you know, you, you're getting momentum when you need it most. Yeah, and NC State had won five of six coming in, and their one loss was – at Virginia, it's, they pretty much beat everybody. So uh, th- this was not like NC State was coming in not playing well, t- to your point. And, uh, you know, Terquavian Smith, I think, is the favorite to win ACC Player of the Year. And you held him to uh, 5 of 16 shooting or, or something like that. as 4 of 12 from beyond the arc. So, yeah, I mean, he got, he got some points. But that was not, you know, a, a performance where he was dominant taking over. You had no answer for him. So, um you know, I, I think I think that was a huge performance on both ends. And NC State looked right from the start a little bit out of sorts, like they didn't know what to do against the zone. Uh, that was one of the things that I noticed, and it took them a while. They had a little stretch in the second half where they got going when they took the lead. But then to Syracuse's credit, uh, you know, something that that they also haven't done much this year, which is play well down the stretch against a, a good team and make plays in a close game. I thought that was important as well, Emily. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I was going to say the same thing. It's not like NC State was coming in here on a losing streak. They were very dominant in conference play. And so for Syracuse to kind of push them back a little bit, you know, set them back, that's huge. But I, I think that all five starters getting into double digits is such a positive to take away from this, especially when three of them are freshmen. So when you have three freshmen, not just starting, but getting into double digits on top of it and all of them playing almost 40 minutes, that's really impressive. And I think it's showing a lot of growth. This is a really young team. And yes, the the NCAA tournament this year is 100% the focus now, but you have to like what you see when you have three freshmen in the starting lineup. The future could be very, very bright because of those young players. But Judah Mintz was just outstanding. 16 rebounds from Jesse Edwards is ridiculous. That's 16 rebounds and 18 points. Is That's that's a performance right there. I really liked what I saw in this game. It's the best Syracuse has played in at least the last five games, I would say. I mean, they, they, they played very, very well. If they play like that at Duke, it's going to be a very good game. Yeah, it was a well-rounded performance too because they were good on on both ends. Now they had they had some issues um, against NC State's half court defense, but um, you know they countered that with being good in transition and, and getting out and running a little bit. They had twenty one fast break, fast break points in this game, and you know your point about Jesse Edwards, he had eighteen points and sixteen rebounds. 
And if he makes like three or four more of the layups that he had, good looks that he has, I mean, he probably should have had 25 points in this game, to be honest with you, if, if he just finishes a little bit better. But, um, you know, we, we talked about their their slim NCAA tournament hopes. And uh, Josh brought up, well, you're in a high major conference, so you've got opportunities that some of these other bubble teams that are in lesser conferences don't have. And that means you've got Duke coming up this Saturday. Then you've got back-to-back road games at Clemson and at Pitt. Those are both quad one games. Duke is quad two right now, but if Duke finishes the season strong, that could get bumped up to quad one. There's a chance that it could. So that could potentially give you three quad one wins if you win all three of those. Now, I think Syracuse has to win at least two of them to keep themselves even on the outside of the discussion. You win all three, I think you put yourself right back in the middle of it, and it would be... Real interesting uh, to see how that would play out. Now, we're, we're going to switch over to the women. And the women have a little good and a little bad. The good is they also got a, a ranked win for the first time this season. They beat North Carolina at home, 75-67. to 67. They followed that up, though, with a loss at Notre Dame. Now, the good news is, by beating North Carolina, that put them right back in, they're kind of on that, line right the the last four in first four out the right kind of on the chopping block there if they had won at Notre Dame that would have put them firmly in and they'd feel really good about where they stand but they had another issue that has plagued them all season especially against good teams which is a fourth quarter collapse Syracuse goes into the half down by 10 points they outscore Notre Dame by 14 in the third quarter they take a four-point lead into the fourth, and they play terrible into the fourth, in the fourth quarter. And they end up losing the game by nine points. So, again, this was an opportunity for Syracuse to cement its NCAA tournament resume, to get back-to-back statement wins. And even though they played well at Notre Dame, and I think were closer for longer than a lot of people anticipated, it's still a missed opportunity. So, um We'll start with you, Josh, on, on your thoughts on, on Syracuse women's basketball's last two games, a big win and then uh, a tough loss where, you know, their their fourth quarter issues plagued them once again. I mean, it's just crazy because I mean, we, me and Emily you know, talk to each other a lot, both on and off camera. Uh, but less than, I'd say, I, I would put February 1st, it was completely opposite to where the women were primed and ready and inching towards not only getting in the tournament, kind of solidifying their status in the tournament, and the men, for the most part, were needing some some uh, some momentum, like they they're kind of getting right now. So you know, like you said, I'm just watching Dage Affair. I've always been a big bet on her. I have like in the games that I watched, both in person and in TV, in person and on TV. You know, the one thing about her, you know, I like to compare her to Trey Young because you know she just she she just commands a lot of volume on the ball. She's not super efficient with getting into her shots. And, like, if her shots aren't going down, which isn't a lot, but, again, she's just not super efficient, there's not a lot of um, offensive movement without her. So, you know, you're looking at some of, you know, these, um, like, sparks, developmental wings, like an Elena Rice, like a Tisha Hyman that showed a lot of uh, sparks early in the season, but they hasn't led to a lot of consistency. Like you say, you're talking about the fourth quarter. You're not getting those finishing plays. You don't really have a solidified – Five, you got Dariana losing Diaz Fair and the, the three rest of the spots or whatever. So, you know, it's just weird because we looked at this two, three weeks ago and this team looked, had all the makings of a, like you said, after a very close loss to NC State, him had the makings of, a, you know, a team, a receiving votes team, a, a, a precursor of a top 25 team. Um, and now it's just, it's just crazy that 
you know, a team I'm called, you know, I'd say Deja Ferris has been the basketball best basketball player on campus for um for the entire year. But it's been interesting to see just how, you know, without seemingly any big, bad um conflict or major hole, it just seems that this team has there's been some considerable slippage. Yeah, and I think turnovers have been an issue for them as well, right? They had 21 in the win against North Carolina. I mean, that's that's way too many. Now, they were better. They only had 12 against Notre Dame, but it seemed like they always came at the wrong moments, uh, Emily. I know we've, we've talked about this, you know, several times, that the fourth quarter is an issue, but it was again. And, you know, with the games they've got coming up at Florida State, another quad one opportunity, and then they've got a, a good, not great Miami team at home, and they finish up at Pitt. Pitt has a losing record. You can't lose that game. They probably got to split Florida State and Miami to feel good about themselves. But in order to do that, or maybe even win all three of these games, they've got to be better in the fourth quarter and, and stop turning it over at key moments. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this, this is a really disappointing loss, especially considering that it's the exact same thing that happened at home. It, it looked like they didn't learn from their mistakes, but the team that I saw against North Carolina, I was at that game. I didn't cover it, but I was there. It was, that's a different team. I mean, they didn't collapse. They played a full game of basketball, but my main issue is the consistency here because when you have one of your starters, Elena Rice playing 22 minutes and scoring all of three points and recording four assists, that's it. You can't have that. 20 minutes, you cannot score three points. Same thing with Kyra Wood. She played seven minutes. She didn't score at all. And then you have Sanaya Wilson off the bench, 25 minutes, goose egg in the points column. You can't have that, you know? Like, you cannot expect Deisha Fair and Dariana Lewis and every now and again Georgia Woolley to put the team on their backs. That's not how that works. You can't have one of your starters scoring three points and another scoring zero. You can't have that. That's that's how you lose games. But now I think if if they want to not feel like it's crunch time in the ACC tournament, they have to win out. Obviously, FSU is a very, very difficult game. Very good team. They have the one of the best, if not the best player in the ACC on their roster. And on top of that, Miami is solidly in the tournament field. These next two games are two tournament teams. If you can beat both of them, you put yourself on the bubble, if not solidly in, if you can win out, they're in. But if if they split Miami and FSU, whichever one it may be, you have to win at least a game or two in the ACC tournament. And that is a tall task because the ACC is stacked top to bottom, but they can, I agree, you cannot lose against Pitt. Yeah. I mean, that, that would, that loss would be terrible. They, they, they've already got a terrible loss on their, on their uh, resume with, with Georgia Tech. Um, you know, Georgia Tech hadn't won a, a conference game to that point and, and upset Syracuse. But, you know, to your point about the the supporting cast, um, you know, Lewis scores 14 points and has 10 rebounds. Woolley has 17 points, three assists and three rebounds. Fair has 22 points, two assists and three rebounds. And it's not like, you know, they were taking 25 shots to get there, right? They were all shooting right around 50% and and making their three-pointers Wooly and Fair were combined six for 11, so over 50% from three-point range. It, it was everyone else. You know, when Taisha Hyman goes one for eight shooting, you know, that, that's going to be that's gonna be tough. And Rice is one for four, and then to 0 for two for Wilson. I just you, you just need more from your supporting cast, uh, Sammy. Your thoughts? 
Um, I would say one thing in general, the past couple of games is I want this team to do better at getting to the line. I don't think they've been aggressive enough in terms of just attacking the basket. It's just kind of a general note. It's just something I'd like to see change because again, getting the line, shooting only 13 free throws, considering what a high percentage as a team they shoot is a little bit of a missed opportunity for me, but I think I'm, I'm in the same boat as you guys where they've got three players who are giving you consistent numbers and absolutely nothing else lately. And that's really coming back to bite them, especially when you play against good teams, because you need that extra boost. At least when they were playing against UNC, they got nine on four for six shooting from Hyman. That was enough to give them that extra little boost in that game. And they won by eight, almost nine points. They needed that extra little push that they got from Hyman. She was four for six. Even Kyra Wood, she had four, but she was two for three, fairly efficient. Um, And it's just a little disappointing in general to just see the supporting cast not step up to the plate quite as much as they need to in some of these bigger games. Um, and I, in general, I've been very impressed with, with Wooly. I think she's played very well over the last couple of games. She's been a nice little resurgence. And after the two games where Hyman wasn't able to play, her coming back was really looking promising considering they had that like three headed attack of Lewis, Wooly and fair. It didn't seem like anyone was really able to stop them. They were kind of consistently picking up those numbers and adding Hyman to that rotation with guards was going to be a nice little boost, but her going one for eight on 12 in 12 minutes is terrible. That can't happen. Um, but I do still like this team's chances to make the NCAA tournament bar a terrible collapse. I'd like to see a two, two and one rec- record over their final three games, including when at Pitt, I pick up either of the next two games um, and then make a respectable attempt at the ACC tournament. And I, I think they could make a they could make a case for themselves. But this one hurt again because of that fourth quarter collapse, like has been mentioned. They put themselves in excellent positions and then just shoot themselves in the foot. And that's tough to see them do, especially with a team that's under a first year head coach. You're seeing them put themselves under a first-year head coach in multiple positions to beat ranked teams. They could have three, four ranked wins by now. Yeah, here they are with just one. And it w- again, it was the, probably, the, if not their best game they played all season, but they should have more. And that's kind of what's just, she probably feel a lot like Eagles fans right now. There's just a little <laughs> something more you could have had. Well, and I think Syracuse men's and women's basketball are kind of in the same boat in that respect, in that they've both had, you know, a handful of opportunities to beat really good teams in games where they had control in, in some instances and weren't able to get it done. And how much different do you view the Syracuse women's team? You know, they're sitting at 16 and 10. They're seven and eight in the conference. Well, what if instead of 16 and 10, they're 18 and eight and they're, you know, nine and six in the conference. I mean, I mean, how much different do you look at them all of a sudden, you know, go from ninth place up to fifth or sixth place in the, in a stacked ACC, the, the men's team, how much different do you look at them if they're able to hold on at Miami and, and beat North Carolina, just those two games alone. And instead of 16 and 10, they're 18 and eight. And if you give them, I know you can play the what if game all day, right? So you can't really do this, but just, you know, if they would be 11 and four in the ACC and a ha- in one game back of first place, if they had hold, held on to those two games that they, they had complete control of in the final minute. So, you know, it's it's uh <laughs> close calls if ands or butts candy and nuts all that stuff but uh they're I I feel like both teams are right there they're playing I think like tournament caliber teams it's just whether or not the resume is going to reflect that at the end of the day but they both have opportunities coming up for sure 
All right, from the misery of basketball to um, some more positive things, we're we're gonna instead of talking about collapsing down the stretch and all those things, and maybe you're not making the tournament, we're gonna talk about two Syracuse athletics programs that have uh, upward trajectory at the moment. Syracuse men's lacrosse first up, then we'll get into the women men. The men won two games this past weekend against Albany and Holy Cross. They are now 3-0 and for the first time, I think, in three years, if I remember correctly, two or three years. And they have jumped into the top 20 in both the media and the coaches poll. Uh, Sammy, we'll start with you. You were uh, you watched both games, covered one of them, I believe, and or at least were in attendance. Your thoughts on, you know, it seemed like they continued playing really good defense. Uh, Will Mark was unbelievable in net again. And the offense finally started clicking. So I think that's that's a positive takeaway from these two wins. Yeah, there's a lot of things to like about what their offense did, but it was mostly just efficiency and kind of letting the game come to them, it seemed, more than anything else. And I think the easiest way to look at this is the way that Spolina played in the first game against Vermont, the way he played in the next two. I think he kind of summarizes what this team as a whole did very well. Um, Spelina in their first game, he shot the ball 15 times, only eight of them were on target and he had one goal. You look to the next two games, the first one, um, against you, Albany, he shot seven times, all of them on target and had five goals. And then on, uh, on Sunday, he took another seven shots, five of them on target and every on target shot was a goal. So I think in general, one, he's now tied for second in the country in terms of goals scored. So that's something I know he's the number one recruit and you expect him to do great things, but that's still insane to do through three games. That's really, really incredible. So I it don't want to like brush. I don't want to brush over that just because people expect that from the, the new number 22, like that you still got to give him his praise when he deserves it. and He really does deserve it for how he started the season. Um, also ha- have to take that opportunity to shout out Cole Curse getting his first NCAA goal. For Syracuse, uh, bag three, I believe, over the whole weekend. Um, so really awesome for him. He was pivotal in terms of also ball movement. Um, they picked up a lot of assists as well um, on a lot of their goals, which is something you love to see. They scored a lot of goals from X as well. Um, in particular on Sunday, a lot of open spaces created from what you, you'll see a lot of in terms of that game in particular. There's a lot of off-ball movement that really draw the attention of Holy Cross's eyes. A lot of their defenders were looking in the wrong direction. You saw multiple opportunities, whether it be um, Spelina, um, Burt Whistle, whoever. They were really open. Hilts as well. Um, they ended up with a lot of open opportunities, and it was created by team offense, and they played very well together, um, and they were very efficient in their clears. So they did what they had to do against two teams they should be. And I, I don't want to hype up these two wins more than they are. I think you'll find out exactly who this team is come Saturday. Yeah. Joey, Joey Spelina, if, if there was any question after game one that, you know, maybe he wasn't quite, you know, what the hype was, I, I think he uh, put those critics to rest after his performances in the next two games. Uh, Josh, your thoughts on uh, the Syracuse men winning, Two games over the weekend, starting three and zero, and now they get into the meat of their schedule. I mean, you like we talked about, you know, ramping up for you know heated competition. You know, you take care of business. Obviously, you had a you had a a la Wagner in the dome situation before you you know you get to ramp up into competition play. And you look at like we talked about it. I said all season. It's only been three games, but we got a bestie for the rest of the cold curse in there. Some veteran experience out of the portal. You, you have a good mix 
of this on this roster of young, talented guys and veteran leadership. So we had that talent, we had that mix. You know, you do want some wrap up time just for continuity purposes, but we had that much talent. You kind of expect them to hit the ground running. So the the biggest thing is not talent, just like the continuity with this team. So well, that that continuity and the 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 ceiling on the team will really be tested over the next you know week and two weeks. So. We'll learn a lot about this men's team, you know, based on how they come out of the next, how they come out of the fire, and then after that, I think we can um, do some more um, um, clear adjustment of the, the season expectations. Yeah, no question. And and you know, Emily, I I think this team going to play at Maryland. Maryland is one of the favorites to to be you know potential national champion. And even though. I believe their 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 goalie is out for the season. I think he tore his ACL if if I read that correctly, and and they were upset um, against Loyola. Um, that's still a great team. That's still a team that's going to be right in the mix in the Big Ten and and one of the favorites to make the Final Four. You go play well there, even if you don't win, and I think you feel pretty good as a Syracuse fan about where this team is. But there's no question that's going to be a giant step up in competition. Oh, 100%. And it's such a contrast to the women who started their season against one of the best teams in the country. I like that three game pad though, that the men have, because this is a, this is a team that was, they were not there last year. Like this is a very, very fresh new team, a lot of fresh faces, but I love the offensive core that they have of Owen Hills, Jackson, Burt Whistle, Finn Thompson, Cole Kirst, and Joey Spelina. I love those five for our offense. But I think the game changer is Wilmark. When you have someone like that in goal, your defense, Syracuse's defense has played well. I wouldn't say they've played at the same level as the offense did this this weekend. But when you have Wilmark in goal, you're golden. He's going to save. He's going to save the vast majority of shots that come his way. He's a very, very good goalie. And that can't be overstated, especially going into Maryland, who is now on their backup goalie for the rest of the season. Granted, this is Maryland, and I'm sure that their backup goalie is still one of the best in the country, but I agree with you. If you can go to Maryland and just put on a good showing, not lose by like double digits, honestly, I good for you at that point. You know, keep it close, keep it competitive. That's good. I don't think anyone expects this Syracuse men's team to be a title contender this year. I don't think that's anyone's expectation especially given what's happened the last few years with, you know, last season being just a dumpster fire. And then in the previous years, the off the field incidents that have really affected team culture and the way the team is viewed, it's a good sign that they're in the top 20. And I think based on their performance, it's where they belong, but this Maryland game is going to be extremely telling. I think it's going to expose a lot of weaknesses on both ends of the field, but if Joey Spelina can keep doing what he's doing, if he can get, I don't know, four goals in this game. I, you like where the team's headed because if if your freshman can score against that kind of a team, this freshman that is supposedly going to carry your program for the next few years, you you like you want to see that. You really want to see that. So this is a huge game. I don't think the outcome matters as much as, you know, say most other games would. I think this is more about what you see versus what the box score says. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think uh, if Syracuse wants to go in and pull off the upset, I think they got to be better at the faceoffs on the faceoff X. They, they they struggled there against teams that, that you shouldn't struggle against. So that's that's going to be a key area of that game because uh, Maryland has a lot of offensive firepower. And 
if you let them play make it take it, that's when things can get out of hand, regardless of how good Will Mark is. So that's that's going to be a key in that game. As you mentioned with the women, a uh, little bit different, as you said. They played Northwestern, who was ranked fourth in the country at the time. Um, Syracuse was ranked fifth coming into the season. They have since flipped after the result of this game. Syracuse wins 16-15. to 15. They get some revenge against the team that ended their season last year. We'll go right back to you, Emily. What did you think about this game? It seemed like Syracuse had... Uh, a lot of weapons offensively, which I think we knew coming in. Uh, Northwestern did as well. But I actually thought, even though they gave up 15 goals, that their goaltending play was a lot better than what we saw last year. I thought that was a huge weakness last season, and it seemed like they might have found someone here and someone that can play at a high enough level that you can make a run in the NCAA tournament. 100%. I mean, obviously, the the, the story of this game is Megan Tyrell. Wow. I, I mean, like, yeah, she's the preseason player of the year nationally, and you would expect that kind of performance for her, from her, but my goodness, that was, she put on a clinic. Megan Tyrell put on a clinic against one of the best teams in the country. But to your point, I like the way that they open the season against this team because Syracuse is a title contender. That's the difference between the men and the women. The Syracuse women were expecting to see them in the final four because they retained their core. And you have Emma Ward back. She was injured last year, if I'm remembering correctly, right? Um, you have her back as well. Huge piece of the team. But to open your schedule against a team as loaded as Northwestern and pull out the win, that's huge. And it's I like that schedule for the women because they are a title contender. I would hate it for the men. But for the women, I really, really like starting your season like that. And now, you know, obviously their schedule is tough. They have, I, I whoa, I, the majority of their games are against teams that were in the tournament last year, which is unheard of. But when you play in the ACC, not really. But if you have Megan Tyrell and Megan Carney and Emma Ward, when you have, and when you have your players, your star players playing the way they did against Northwestern, you have to feel really, really good about what this season looks like. And you're right about the goaltending. It was a huge weakness last year. I don't think you take 15 goals as, oh my God, they allowed 15 goals. No, you you have to look at the fact that it was Northwestern that scored those 15. And Northwestern has Izzy Skane. So it's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's definitely something to take into consideration. But I really, really like where this women's team is going. I was watching the game with awful phone service in Arizona. I was at um, the PGA event and I was trying to watch the game. And I was asking Andrew Macbeth, the wonderful beat reporter I work with, for updates. And what a game. I what what a game. You expected it to be close, but what a game. Syracuse was the better team that day. And I think they're going to be the better team than most of the teams they play this season. But to see them get a win like that to open their season, good sign. Really good sign. This is the title contender team that we were expecting based on what we saw against Northwestern. And it doesn't get any easier for them. Uh they get second ranked Maryland in the dome uh, this coming Friday at uh, 3 p.m. Just in mm -hmm. a few days here. So uh, just continues, you know, it, you're going to know right away, you know, how good the Syracuse team is. We saw a really strong performance in the opener. Um, you know, Josh, I, I'm, I'm curious your perspective on this being a, a former collegiate athlete. Um, you start the season against these type of these type of teams. I know we we've talked about it before, but 
you know, you're you're thrown right into the thick of things. And the good thing is for Syracuse, they got a lot of veterans and a, and a lot of players that have been here before. But uh, you know, you're you're going right into the thick of of teams that you're going to be competing with if if you want to win a national title. You know, I, I got to shout out the hometown crew is a, is a, is a novice lack. So I, I got to relate, make it the analogies for what fits me. You know, we love, you know, we love Uncle Penny on this show, get friend of the show, as they like to say. Um, as a coach, he's his fifth year now. That was one of those things in terms of being a head coach and scheduled nuance that he had to grow into. And a lot of people in the program have recognized it. We've, talk, we've talked about the difference between a conference like the American and the ACC at, um, at length. But when you're talking about a team that has national championship aspirations, I'm not necessarily um, familiar with the, the postseason process of the, of the of NCAA lacrosse tournament. I don't know if it's like a committee process or automatic qualifiers or whatever. But when you're contending for a national championship, you're throwing out a lot. Or we, 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 we think you're the best at your sport. Your team is the best. You know, your preparation, you're throwing out a lot of the, um, I get like usual pretendence for, um, like um, just getting getting ready for a season. So, like we said, we talked about with the men with the three game pad. Like, you do want to have that runway because you have a lot of different faces on this team. But I mean, we talk about like the Christmas game in the NBA. Like, those are marquee matchups. You want, regardless of you're gonna win or you're gonna lose, you want that level of intensity. You want your guys to be playing that high level of lacrosse in this case. So when you get to the postseason, it's not a big jumping performance. You don't have guys coming off the bench not accustomed to the type of tempo, the type of intensity. You want to have that already clicking because, you know, when you, like I said, the talent is already there. So the biggest thing you want to have for this team is the continuity and the experience. And obviously you can't, you can't, you can't gain experience but by playing lacrosse games. So with them, you just want to be able to, you know, again, the talent is not the question. You just want to be able to to jump right in and be able to play postseason lacrosse at the drop of a hat with a Maryland, with a Notre Dame, you know, on the schedule. So, like I said, with you know, with this the aspirations that this team has, you I'm not saying going through the motions, but you're definitely aiming higher than you know win loss record or even you know fighting for a postseason spot because you, you don't really think that's a question. Yeah, Sammy, your thoughts on uh, the season opening win for Syracuse? I think a lot can be said for momentum and beating the team that eliminated you last season has to feel real damn good. That's I think that's where you got to start is that feels really good to come back. And I know you're doing it at home. So it's a little bit that you had that little edge that you maybe didn't have in the last time you played, but that kind of momentum can really spring on a team. And especially as the first game of the season, I really like the schedule construction. I know it's been set a little bit, but you starting off with two teams like Northwestern, the one that I think your entire roster wanted a bit of revenge on. And then you go and face Maryland, another title favorite. If you can start the season 2-0, and and I don't want to say take a break because you can't take any team that lightly, but you have Binghamton on, and then the third game. Get a little rest. You get a little bit of an ease on that gas pedal. There is some serious potential to, to make it. Not that there wasn't at the start of the season, but having those two positive results to really spring the rest of the season is really promising. Um, and then also Maryland didn't start with the same level of competition. They were playing against St. Joseph's and it was a 15, five win rather comfortable. So there, I think Syracuse in order to go get a get win against Maryland needs to attack that first quarter and really show them how much it might've hurt Maryland on the flip side to not start out with such a difficult competition because they had enough time to recover from the difficulty of that opponent. So that's not like a factor. They jumped in, got their feet wet with the toughest competition that really could have imagined. 
And I think their reward for it is a Maryland team that didn't do the same thing. They started with a, I don't want to say cupcake. St. Joseph's isn't a terrible team, but they're, they're not a ranked opponent. It's, it's just that simple. And they're a team also that Maryland struggled in a couple areas of the game. They didn't do very well in draw controls. Um, and just a couple other minor aspects of the game where Syracuse could take advantage. And on the flip side, I think Syracuse's defense is going to be tested a bit as well, just because of the volume of shots that Maryland gets off. Yeah, no question. Um, it's it's going to be real interesting. I think it's going to be a fun game. I would encourage anyone that can to get to the Dome to watch that game. It's not going to get much better than that. And, you know, although Syracuse does play Boston College and North Carolina towards the end of the season, those are going to be incredible games as well. North Carolina is on the road. Boston College is, is the regular season finale. Uh, those are, are two of the best teams in the country as well. So loaded schedule, lots of opportunities, um, Sammy, to to get some good wins, but also get familiar with some of the teams that you could run into um, when you get to Final Four weekend, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, if you're not going to the game, tune into the stream because I'll be doing a segment in the post game about men's lacrosse. So just got to shout that out a little bit. Q's.com and ACC Network uh, pre-halftime and post-game shows. Yes, definitely want to check those out. Um, Sammy's one of, uh, you know, they have a lot of, uh, student students that are, uh, doing the halftime show that are in the production. Um, a, a lot of very talented people that, that are involved with all that and looks very professional, learn some things and, um, you can support some, uh, you know, future stars in the broadcasting world as well. That'll do it for episode 67 of the believe in Syracuse podcast presented by bet online and Hoffman sausage company. For Sammy, Josh, and Emily, I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.